Welcome to the Harmony Christian Church Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by today's message from Pastor Josh Shoemaker. If you have your Bibles, open them up with me. We're going to start in verse or Matthew chapter 26. We've been talking the, uh, really since the beginning of the year about love, and uh, we've been following kind of Peter's journey. And uh, we're going to continue with that this morning. So um, I'm going to read a, a, quite a bit of scripture to you right here at the beginning. Uh, so, so bear with me here. So we're going to start in Matthew chapter 26. Like I said, starting there in verse 31. It says, Then Jesus said to them, this is at the Last Supper. Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered and said to him, even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Jesus said to him, assuredly, I say to you that this night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And so said all of the other disciples. Listen to the confidence in Peter's words here. In Luke chapter 22. And while he was still speaking. Let me me actually flip there in my Bible real quick. Luke chapter 22. Verse 47. And while he was still speaking, behold a multitude. And he who was called Judas... One of the twelve went before them and drew near to Jesus to kiss him. That word kiss there is a familiar word. It's the word phileo, which is a word for love. And it's the word that Peter uses. We're going to read that here in just a moment when Jesus asked him, do you love me? Peter says, I'm sorry. Uh, It says that he went before them and drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When those around him, I think, uh, I don't know if you have these back there, Chad. So verse 49, when those around him saw what was going to happen, they said to him, Lord, shall we strike him with a sword? Shall we strike with a sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus answered and said, permit even this. And he touched his ear and healed him. I do want to point out, it says, and one of them struck the servant's ear. That one of them we know was Peter, thanks to John, which is, I realized this this morning. If you look through the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all of them record this, this, this happening. But only John tells us that it was Peter. All the rest of them say it was one of the disciples pulled out a sword. But John made a point (laughs) to say, no, 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 it wasn't one of the disciples. It was Peter. (laughs) He did it, right? This is the same one who wrote that after Mary comes and tells them that Jesus was resurrected from the dead, that they ran to the tomb, but the beloved one outran Peter. You know, I love that you can see the personalities of these disciples in scriptures. I, I can only imagine the, the relationship that John and Peter had with one another. So 
Just wanted to point that out. Thank you to John. We know that Peter was the one swinging swords. Luke chapter 22, verse 54, it says, The religious leader seized Jesus and led him away, but Peter followed from a safe distance. They brought him to the home of the high priest where people were already gathered out in the courtyard. Someone had built a fire, so Peter inched closer and sat down among them to stay warm. A girl noticed Peter sitting in the firelight, staring at him. She pointed him out and said, this man is one of Jesus' disciples. Peter flatly denied it, saying, what are you talking about, girl? I don't know him. A little while later, someone else spotted Peter and said, I recognize you. You're, you're one of his. I know it. Peter again said, I am not one of his disciples. About an hour later, someone else identified Peter and insisted he was a disciple of Jesus, saying, look at him. He's from Galilee, just like Jesus. I know that he's one of them. But Peter was adamant. Listen, I don't know what you're talking about. Don't you understand? I don't even know him. While the words were still in his mouth, the rooster crowed. At that moment, the Lord, who was being led through the courtyard by his captors, turned and gazed at Peter. All at once, Peter remembered the words of Jesus that Jesus had prophesied over him. Before the rooster crows in the morning, you will deny me three times that you even know me. Peter burst into tears, ran off from the crowd, and wept bitterly. John chapter 21, verse 15. After the resurrection of Jesus. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. So he said to him, teach my sheep, tend to my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. I wanted to read these portions of scripture to you because I wanted to see you the progression of the story. I wanted you to see how Peter at the Last Supper starts off confident. He's ready to die with Jesus. And approximately 12 hours or so later, He's locking eyes with Jesus as he's denied him for the third time. I love Peter's story because it's so easy to see my story in Peter's story. I believe that Peter's confession at the Last Supper was absolutely genuine. 
that when Peter said, Jesus, I will die with you, he wasn't being flaky. He wasn't just tossing out words. He meant in his heart of hearts, Jesus, if you're going to die, I'm going to die. That I am following you even to the grave. I believe that was a genuine expression and a genuine attitude in Peter's heart. But then you follow, you follow here. You, you think about it though. This is the disciple who laid down his nets, laid down his livelihood to follow Jesus. And for three years, he followed Jesus. He's, we, we know that Peter uh, was married, that he had a wife. So he was sacrificing time with his family for those three years to follow Jesus, right? He, he, we know again because of John that he, in the garden, he was swinging swords to protect Jesus, which again, that fact alone shows us the genuineness of, of Peter's heart there. Jesus, I will die with you. So in the garden, when they come to seize Jesus, Peter is ready for a fight. Peter is ready to defend Jesus and to fight with Jesus. Because remember, in, these, in the apostles' mind, and the disciples' minds, this is still about overtaking Israel. This is still about, I'm sorry, overtaking Rome, right? And so Peter is ready to fight. He's acting on his expression. He's ready to fight. And then Jesus tells him, says, Peter, Lay down your sword, which has got to be confusing for Peter, right? Because even in between the Last Supper and this moment, Jesus tells them to bring a sword with them. What else do you do with a sword, right? What else do you do with a sword? So Peter is acting on his commitment to follow Jesus, to die with Jesus. He brings out the sword that Jesus told him to bring along. And Jesus tells him to stop. Peter, I don't, I don't believe Peter was, was disingenuine in his heart to go all the way with Jesus. I believe Peter was confused as to what to do. What do I do? If I can't use my sword, how do I defend Jesus? And so then you see Peter, after, after they arrest him, you see Peter not fleeing in that moment. Peter is following Jesus at a safe distance. And I think Peter in his mind is thinking, how, what, what do I do? He's trying to plan. He's trying to figure out, I can't use a sword, but how, how do I defend Jesus? And he's following Jesus at, this, at a close distance. He's following him in the courtyard. He's warming himself by a fire. He can still see Jesus in a distance, but he's trying to figure out what to do. And in that moment of vulnerability and weakness, someone says, hey, wait, you look, you look like one of his disciples. Oh, no, that's, that's not me. In a moment of confusion and vulnerability, he denies Jesus. Jesus is at his most desperate time of need. And in a moment of confusion and, and vulnerability, Peter turns his back on Jesus. I don't know about you, but my story is filled with moments like this. My life is full of moments of pure devotion to Jesus. Genuine dedication. 
an authentic fire burning on the inside of me. My life is also full of moments of weakness and self-serving, distorting the image that I was created in. And maybe I, I haven't denied knowing Jesus with my words, but I've cons- consciously hid in the shadows just as Peter did, refusing to align myself with him. Am I, th- am I the only one in this room? I know this room is full of a bunch of Mother Teresas, but, <laughs> but surely there's a couple Peters in the room who can say that there is times where there is a genuine burning in my spirit, where Jesus, I'm ready to die for you right? I'm ready to go all the way. I am all in. But there's also moments of weakness and vulnerability where, where even though this was genuine, I still find myself not aligning myself with his will. I still find myself keeping myself at a safe distance. I see him over there. I still believe he's the son of God. I still believe everything about him. I still phileo him, right? But I'm, I'm keeping myself at a at a distance and warming myself by a fire. Peter's story is so fascinating because it's our story. And it's easy in moments like this to feel like you're fake and allow the guilt and the shame to drive you further into the shadows. I'm sure in that moment, Peter is remembering Those words at the Last Supper, Jesus, I will die with you, right? And in the moment where he's denying Jesus, in the moment where he catches and locks eyes with Jesus, I'm sure he's remembering those words and feeling like a hypocrite. Feeling like, man, did I even really mean those words, right? Feeling like I'm I'm just a fake, I'm just a failure. And it's easy in those moments of weakness and vulnerability to retreat into the shadows of shame and guilt. It's easy to fall into the shadows of shame and guilt. And you know, that's some people's story. That's a lot of people's story. But that's not Peter's story. There's a lot of people, including one from Scripture named Judas, who allowed the shame and the guilt of their weakness and their failure to drive them into the shadows. I mean, I I know people like that, and I'm sure you know people like that, who had a genuine heart for Jesus. And in a moment of weakness, or maybe several moments of failure and weakness, they allow that guilt and that shame to just push them a little further back into the shadow and a little further back into the shadow and a little further back until their life is full, so full of shame and guilt that they can't even find their way back. And that's many people's story, but it's not Peter's. One thing that I love about Peter is that he always finds his way back to Jesus. When he's confident, he's with Jesus. And when he's broken, he finds his way to Jesus. Here's the truth that I believe Peter knew. The only way, church, listen to this. 
The only way darkness wins is if you stop coming to Jesus. The only way, church, the only way darkness wins is if you stop coming to Jesus. 1 John chapter 5. I'm sorry, 1 John chapter 1, starting in verse 5. Let me read this to you. I don't hear any pages flipping. You all overhead people this morning? Hey, there we go. I heard some pages there. Thanks, Teresa. <laughs> First John chapter 1, starting in verse 5. This is the life-giving message we heard him share, and it's still ringing in our ears. We now repeat his words to you. God is pure light, and you will never find even a trace of darkness in him. Whew, I love that scripture. Kiera, where's Kiera at? She's teaching. She would like that scripture. God is pure light. You, never even, you, you will never even find a trace of darkness in him. This scripture means a couple things, several things. One thing that it means is that the motive of God is always laid bare. There is no distortion inside of him. There is no hidden agenda. He is completely good and he is completely trustworthy. There is no darkness on the inside of him. He is pure light. Amen? It also means this, that there is nothing hidden from him. To be close to him, to be close to Jesus, means to be completely exposed to him. To be close to Jesus means to be completely exposed exposed to him. Look at what Jesus says to Peter as Peter confidently declares that he will die with Jesus. He says, assuredly, I say to you, you will deny me three times before the rooster even crows. That Peter has all the confidence in the world that he's going to follow Jesus to the grave. But even in that moment, pure light, the pure light in Jesus can already see the darkness inside of Peter, even though Peter can't even see it. Because to be near to Jesus means that everything is exposed to him because he is pure light. And listen, church, that can be terrifying. That can be terrifying if you don't understand that he exposes it, not so he can use it against you, but so that he can eradicate it. The reason people hide in the shadows or retreat in the shadows after a failure is because they don't understand that when they approach him and that is exposed, in their mind they see a God who's going to come and judge and bring wrath upon them. What they don't understand is that instead of wrath, they find an everlasting, unending, merciful, loving God. Jesus didn't tell Peter that he was going to deny him three times before the rooster crowed to shame Peter. He exposed it 
so that thing could be eradicated from the inside of him. So, so don't, when you, when you have that, those moments of weakness, don't be afraid to approach pure light because of judgment. Instead, run to pure light. Allow that thing to be exposed so that he can eradicate it. And we're going to see that here in just a moment. Verse 6 says, If we claim that we share life with him, but keep walking in the realm of darkness, we are fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we keep living in pure light, in the pure light that surrounds him, we share, listen, unbroken fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, continually cleanses us from all sin. I want you to see here that broken fellowship is not a consequence of sin. What separates us from fellowship with him is our hiding in the shadows. Let me read it one more time. But if we keep living in pure light that surrounds him, we share unbroken fellowship with one another. That one another there is, is, is the relationship between you and the Father. And the blood of Jesus, his son, continually cleanses us from all sins. So it's not sin that separates us from fellowship. It's our retreating into the darkness that separates us from fellowship with him. Now I know all of you like me grew up believing that that sin is somehow God's kryptonite, right? That God can't look or, or God can't view sin. He can't look upon sin. And I grew up believing that. You know, I grew up believing that God can't look upon sin. Only one problem with that. It doesn't agree with scripture. Right from the beginning, in Genesis chapter, well, chapter two, after Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, what happens? God shows up in the garden. The Adam and Eve and, and the father, and Adam and Eve and Abba would walk in the gardens together. And after they had sinned, Adam and Eve fled into the shadows. But God showed up for the walk. It wasn't, what broke their fellowship wasn't their sin. It was, it was Adam and Eve hiding in the trees. Why? Because of their shame. It even tells us that they were ashamed. They realized that they were naked. And they were ashamed, and so they hid themselves. But God came to the garden and said, Adam Eve, where are you guys at? I'm ready for my walk. Now, you might, some might say, well, well, God didn't realize Adam and Eve had sinned in that moment. <laughs> I find it hard to believe <laughs> that the God who called out Peter's denial before it ever happened. The God who caused the sun to stand still when Joshua asked for the sun to stand still wasn't aware that Adam and Eve had sinned. He knew full well what had happened, but he comes to the garden and he said, guys, where are you at? 
I'm ready for the walk. So once again, it's not the sin that separates us from communing with God. What separates us from communing with God is when we disappear into the trees because of our shame. What separates us from the love of God is when we start sneaking around in the shadows because we don't want our sin to be exposed by pure light. So, Matthew chapter, I'm sorry, 1 John 5, verse 7. But if we keep living in pure light that surrounds him, we share unbroken fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus' son continually cleanses us from all sin. Once again, church, the only way darkness wins, the only way darkness wins is if we stop pursuing Jesus. Verse 8. If we boast that we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and are strangers to the truth. But if we freely admit our sins when his light uncovers them, he will be faithful to forgive us every time. Church, every time. Every time. Every time. He will forgive us. God is just to forgive us of our sins because of Christ. He will continually cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He will continually cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What we have to understand about sin is that sin is not just bad behavior. Sin is a distortion of identity. The word sin is the Greek word hamartia. It's a compound word. The word ha means without. The word meros means form. So literally the word sin means without form. It's a distorted identity. Sin, sin is not just bad behavior. Bad behavior is the fruit of sin. But it's not the root. Bad behavior is what is produced, but sin is actually a distortion of who you are, which when you look at the opposite of that, righteousness, righteousness is the word dikeosune, which literally means you as you ought to be. It's you as you ought to be. So sin is a distortion of righteousness. It's a distortion of who you are, your identity, and, and who you were created to be. You realize that in Genesis, it says that you were made in the image of God, in his very likeness, that you, at your very core, look like God. That is who you are. And what sin does is it comes in and it distorts that identity and makes you believe the lie that you are not like him. And so what is this passage saying? It's saying that as we expose our sin, our distortion to the light, as we expose that sin to the light, it says this, that if we freely admit our sins, when his light uncovers them, he is faithful to forgive us every time. And then look at this. God is just to forgive our sins because of Christ, and he will continually cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
from everything that distorts the image of who you are, he is washing it clean every single time. So when you expose that darkness to the light, when you come out of the shadows and come into pure light, he doesn't come in and condemn you. He comes in and he cleanses you and washes that darkness from within you. Why? So you begin to look more and more like who you are. And who are you? You are the likeness of God in Christ Jesus. Come on. You are the likeness. That is who you are, church. If there's, if there's ever been a core message in my life, it's that. That my identity is not my mistakes. That who I am is not my failures. That I, as we sang it this morning, I am who he says that I am. And he says I'm made in his very image and likeness. He says that I am righteous because of Christ. He says that I am whole and holy in his name. That is who I am. I am not defined by my failures. I'm not defined by hamartia that comes in and distorts my identity. At my core, I am like God. Amen? Hallelujah. Bad behavior, once again, is a consequence of a distorted identity. Bad behavior is the fruit, not the root. And the light, listen, the light doesn't need to expose the fruit. Anyone can see the fruit. <laughs> Anyone can see the bad behavior. Especially ourselves. We're real good at spotting our failures, aren't we? The light doesn't just expose the bad behavior. Anyone can see the bad behavior. The light exposes and deals with the roots, the thing that's hidden, the thing that's underground, that's giving strength and sustenance to the fruit of sin, which is a distorted identity. And the light comes in and doesn't just expose the bad behavior. He exposes what's underneath. It exposes what's hidden so that that root can be uprooted and dealt with, amen? Peter understands this. Peter understands that he's failed. Peter understands that he's denied Jesus. He sees that, but he also understands that perfect light casts out the darkness. So when he sees Jesus on the shore after the resurrection, he doesn't suppress himself a deeper into the shadows. He jumps in the water and he swims toward pure light. I love the honesty in this conversation between Peter and Jesus. There's no need to veil your speech or soften your language when you're talking to pure light. <laughs> There's no reason to try to hide anything because he sees it all. And so Jesus and Peter have this honest conversation. Jesus says, Peter, do you agape me? Do you love me with the God-like self-sacrificing love? Peter says, well, Jesus, I phileo you. Do you love me with the God-like self-sacrificing love? And Peter says, well, I love you like Judas did. Just being honest. 
pure light knows my heart anyways. <laughs> pure light knows where I'm at. And where I'm at is this, Jesus, I love you. But there's also something still in me that's self-serving like there was in, in Judas. There's something there that I didn't see 12 hours before they took you. When I was ready to die with you, I didn't see that there was still some phileo in me. I didn't, I didn't see that there was still some, some, some self-serving on the inside of me. But now that, that thing has been exposed, so I'm just laying it bare before you. Jesus, I know I'm supposed to agape you, but I'm just at phileo right now. I'm just at phileo. Peter is just laying it bare before Jesus. This is just where I'm at. In that place of pure light, in the place of that honest conversation with Jesus and Peter, as Peter just lays out where he's at, he doesn't try to say, well, Jesus, no, I got by you. He's just real. No, no, there's, there's this thing on the inside of me that I didn't see before, but I see it now, Jesus. And I'm just, I'm not at a place where I can agape you because there's still this thing of darkness on the inside of me. There's still this self-serving motive on the inside of me that I didn't see before. So Jesus, I can fillet you, but I can't agape you. And as Peter lays bare where he's at in that place of pure light, Abba doesn't just forgive Peter of his bad behavior. In fact, they don't even talk about it. He deals instead with the distortion that Peter is only capable of phileo. Let me show you what I mean in the story. After their conversation, do you love me? Do you gape me? I can phileo you. After that conversation, this is what Jesus says to Peter. He says, Peter, when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish to go. And then it's, it tells us in the, in the scripture, John tells us what Jesus meant by that. It says that he spoke this to signify how Peter would glorify God in his death. This is what Jesus is saying here in this moment. He's saying, Peter, you think that you only have phileo, but I see in you a day when you will have a chance to run again. But instead, you will choose agape. That Peter, you think you're only capable of phileo, but I can see in you something else. Yes, I saw this darkness on the inside of you, but I see something else in you. That there's going to be a day when you will have a chance to deny me again, but instead you'll say, no, 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 I'll spread my arms out. I will give of myself in the same way that Jesus gave of himself on a cross. That that thing of self-serving will be dealt with, that it's exposed, it's dealt with. And Peter, there's also something else in you. And it's a thing called agape, self-sacrificing love. And Peter, one day, you're going to give your life for me. 
What does scripture say? There is no greater love. There is no greater love than to lay down your life for a friend. So Peter, right now, you feel like all you can do is phileo, but there's going to be a day where you lay your life down. There's going to be a day where you fully give of that agape, God-like, self-sacrificing love. Here's the thing we have to understand about pure light and coming into pure light is that it doesn't just expose what shouldn't be there. It also exposes what is there. What, what is deep down on the inside that should be there. And that's what pure light does here with Peter. It exposes that you think you only have phileo to give, but Peter, I see in you agape. The light doesn't just expose what shouldn't be there. It exposes what was in you already all along. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 says, We can all draw close to him with the veil removed from our faces. And with no veil, we will all become like mirrors who brightly reflect the glory of the Lord Jesus. We are being transfigured into his very image as we move from one brighter level of glory to another. And this glorious transfiguration comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. There's a couple of Greek words here that give this scripture so much more depth. When it says we are made in his image, that word image is the word icon. And this is what it means. Exact resemblance, image, and likeness. Looking in a mirror, a portrait, assuming that there is a prototype. <laughs> that we are made in the image, that we have the exact resemblance of Jesus. That word transformed is the word metamorphio. It doesn't mean changing from something that, becoming something you already weren't. Here's what it means. It says giving outward expression to one's inner character. That outward expression coming from and being truly representative of the inner character. It's the picture of a butterfly of the caterpillar becoming a butterfly. The butterfly or the the butterfly was already in the caterpillar. All the metamorpho did was expose what was already on the inside. So what happens when we come into the light is that not only does it expose the darkness and deal with the root of sin, which is a distorted identity, it also exposes what has already put, been put in there, the correct identity, which is you look like Jesus. You look like Jesus. So this morning I have, I have what, what I, what I want to convey to you this morning is that no matter where you are at, no matter what kind of thing you have failed in, no matter what kind of thing you have done, never stop approaching pure light. Chase after 
the one who is pure light. Come into his presence. And yes, it can be scary because when you are in his presence, everything is laid bare. He sees everything. That darkness is exposed, but it's exposed so that he can eradicate it. But he also come into the light, not just to eradicate what shouldn't be there, come into the light so he can expose what already is there. Which is Christ in you, Pastor Ron. Christ in you, the hope of glory. I've, I've been a Christian my whole life. I've read the Bible I don't know how many times. I've studied different translations. I've dived into Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic and used all the tools to learn all the words as much as I can. I've listened to hours and hours and hours of teachings and all of the, all of the teachings I can hear. And I'm convinced of this. I'm more and more convinced that this whole thing is, is not about disembodied souls going to an afterlife. That the purpose of the cross is not just about not going to hell. But the purpose, the reason Jesus came and dwelt among us and tabernacled among us. The reason why he went to the cross and died for our sins to wash as white as snow is so that we once again can approach pure light and see that we were made to look exactly like Jesus. That we were made to look exactly like Jesus. And not just that, but we were made to come into the fellowship of the Father, Son, and Spirit. It tells us in 1 John chapter 5, and I'll close with this. We're a little early, so I, maybe I won't close with this. I don't know. <laughs> it tells us in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. Let's just read a little bit of it. It says, Look with wonder at the depth of the Father's marvelous love that he has lavished on us. He has called us and made us his very own beloved children. The word beloved is, means favorite one. He has made us his beloved children. The reason the world doesn't recognize who we are is that they didn't recognize him. Listen to that statement. The reason the world doesn't recognize who you are and what's inside of you is because you so look like him and they didn't recognize him, so they don't recognize you. Beloved, we are God's children right now. However, it is not yet apparent what we will become. But we do know that when it is finally made visible, we will be just like him. For we will see him as he truly is. And here we go. And all who focus their hope on him will always be purifying themselves just as Jesus is pure. Pure light comes and doesn't just reveal the darkness. It reveals that you look like him. 
and as we continually put ourselves in his marvelous light. I I love the way the scripture puts it because it says that we are children right now. There's, There's nothing we can do to change that, right? We are God's children right now, not when we get to heaven, not when we are finally made pure and perfect like Jesus. We are God's children now, but we are still growing into his image and likeness. The word actually in there that it uses, there's several words for, for, um, for development of a child. And there's, there's, it uses the word technon, which is the word for teenager. You're still, you're God's child, but right now you're just a teenager, right? You're not fully mature yet. But there will be a day where we look exactly like him, where we are fully mature. Earlier this last weekend, um, we were in Ohio at a, at a service, and this lady who, who we'd never met before saw Maylee, and she goes, that is Amber's child, right? <laughs> like, she's your daughter, right? There's no question that Maylee is Amber's daughter. They look exactly alike. And even though they look exactly alike, Maylee is not mature yet. She is still growing. She is still becoming mature. And that's, that's the Christian walk. We are God's kids right now. We look just like him. And we are also maturing into likeness. And how do you keep maturing? You keep stepping into marvelous light. Beholding is becoming. Looking into marvelous light brings out the marvelous light that's on the inside of you. Hallelujah. Let's stand together this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. I feel like if you're if you're if you would just raise your hands with me this morning as we pray. Father, this morning we raise our hands as an act of surrender. It's an act of stepping into your marvelous light. Father, I pray that you would come in and expose any darkness on the inside of us. Father, we pray like David did. Father, if there's any wickedness on the inside of us, wickedness that we can't even see, Father, we pray that you would just expose it. Father, if there's any of distortion of who we are on the inside of us, if there's any distortion of our identity in Christ, Father, we just lay it bare before you. We lay it bare before you because you are trustworthy. Because you are good, Father. Because we know that in exposing it to you, it's not, it's not that you will come and you will judge us, but as we expose it to you, Father, that you will begin to wash us and cleanse us and eradicate that darkness from on the inside of us. 
And Father, if we come in again with darkness on the inside of us, you wash us again and you cleanse us again. And Father, that you are patient in our development. (laughs) That's a word for somebody this morning. He is patient with your development. He's not angry that you're not growing faster than you should. I'm not mad at my kids for not being more mature than they are. They're just growing and they're learning. And if you just continue to come into the light, if you continue like Peter, yeah, I failed. I didn't do what I was supposed to. But if you just keep exposing that thing to the light and allowing the light to cleanse you over and over again, he will keep developing you. He will keep growing you. That you will look more like Jesus tomorrow than you did yesterday. And then the next day, you'll look a little bit more like Jesus again than you did the day before. But you have to keep coming to the light. Don't retreat in the shadows with your shame. Keep, jump in the water and swim towards pure light. Father, I thank you, Lord, for the exposure that sometimes doesn't feel like grace, but it is grace. Hallelujah. Sometimes it's terrifying, but it's grace, and it's good. So, Father, we lay it bare before you this morning. And, Father, we also thank you that the pure light exposes who we are. And, Father, I pray that this year above everything else, Father, that we would come more fully into our identity of knowing who we are in you, that we were made to look just like you. That there'd be some metamorpho this year, Jesus, some transformation, becoming more like who we are, which is made in your image. God, we give you glory and praise. We thank you for the pure light. We honor you this morning in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more messages like this or information about our church, please visit harmonychurchfamily.org.